I have to say that um, these, uh, uh, pre preparing the presentation, uh, my talk for today, was for me a great opportunity to um, sort of place the research that I did on Ethiopia on uh, the role of new technologies in political transition and in political change in the context of some of the more recent debates on the power of the media, of the lack of power of the media, of promoting, promoting change and connecting it in a comparative perspective with some of the most recent events that have shown in some cases what, what this power is and, and how it works. And when I refer to the debate, well, Eugeni Marasov was here and I guess you invited him to, to speak at Reuters. And uh, he has sort of become a kind of uh, one straw man. On the other hand, there is Clay Shirky, and we usually say that uh, they are both wrong and the truth is in between. But And I won't try really to play that kind of game. What I will try to do is move uh, some of the debates uh, um, that I find extremely important, extremely interesting, in uh, somehow a different direction. I find Eugeni uh, uh, Morozov and uh, what uh, some of the, the, the contribution that came before him, uh, for example, this is the book, I, I guess it came out in 2006 by Kalatil and Boas, uh, extremely important in showing the ability of uh, authoritarian regimes, uh, regimes uh, in developing countries, uh, of using technology, not just in resisting uh, the power of technology to promote democratization of political change that empower uh, oppositional voices uh, and alternatives, idea of the nation, for example but also to use technology to fulfill their own political agenda. And uh, referring to the events, uh, obviously, as I said before, the events I'm referring to are the political transformation that have changed dramatically uh, part of Northern Africa. They are still uh, producing remarkable change elsewhere in the Arab world. And there is a lot of expectation that some of these transformations, some of these examples, might also spill over to sub-Saharan Africa. And uh, what I found particularly interesting by looking at my own research uh, and looking at uh, some of the debate I mentioned before, academic and non-academic debate, uh, and uh, looking at some of the analysis uh, that has been offered of, uh, on the power of the media to promote uh, change uh, as uh, in the fashion that we saw in, uh, in, in a country like Egypt, uh, was a lot of attention to the tactics uh, that have been used by different camps, uh, but much less attention to the strategies uh, that inform more long-term uses of technology. When I talk about the tactics, I find the example of the very compelling case that uh, Morozov made of uh, how Facebook uh, is uh, a great uh, help to authoritarian regimes in spotting who the most followed, most the most critical opponents are and going after them. Or other example of infiltrating supporters of the government or of different factions into Twitter and Facebook in order to shape public opinion. Equally interesting, again, we are still in the realm of the tactics, was the lot of attention and the little bit of mythologization of uh, how um, activists uh, could use uh, technology in order to go against the state. Uh, what you see up there is, uh, I guess it's quite familiar, is, uh, is a graph showing uh, how the internet was completely shut down for a few days in Egypt. Uh, it was very interesting for me, even if uh, later on analysis that came later on showed that, again, it was more 
more of a myth that there's something that really made a difference. Uh, how activists could use old media, faxes or the telephone, landlines, uh, in a kind of new media mode. Uh, they were calling abroad, they were calling outside, they were sending faxes, uh, so that their word, the word of the people who were on the ground, uh, could be captured again in the Twitter spheres, in the blogger spheres, uh, and start and continuing to shape the debate. I think this is uh, extremely important. I'm not saying that studying the tactics is not uh, an important effort, and I look forward to seeing more of this analysis. Uh, but when we move to the strategies, first of all, uh, there is less attention, there are less instruments, uh, and uh, we sort of fall into what um, I sort of call a kind of an authoritarian bias. We think that authoritarian countries, because authoritarian, they tend to uh, adopt very similar strategies because they cling on power, they don't want to relinquish power, so that we tend to constrain, to control. And what we miss is the particular politics and what I would like to go uh, deeper into today, the particular politics that really shaped the national debate, that shaped the national discourse. And uh, I would like to do that uh, by presenting the case of Ethiopia. These images may sound a little bit complicated, but don't worry about it right now. I will try to go a bit towards the, the, the final part of my presentation. I will try to explain a little bit what this is about. And uh, um, what is important to stress now is uh, this is the case of Ethiopia. This is what I will look at a particular use of technology that was done by the Ethiopian government, quite unique in, in its genre. But what is Ethiopia in, um, in the larger context of Africa and of the um, international system. Ethiopia is uh, the first recipient of development aid in Africa, and it has been for a long time. It's a darling, a so-called darling of the West. In uh, uh, the UK, the British government, the largest chunk of aid uh, going to um, to another country from the British government is going to Ethiopia. And uh, also with the United States, historically, Ethiopia had a very strong relationship. But recently, it has also developed a strong relationship with China, and it would be interesting to see how these play out. And uh, at the same time, it's interesting to show, and I will try to, 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 to do that, how despite the very strong influence of external player, despite the lack of IT skills, it's not India, it's not Singapore, uh, the Ethiopian government, also relying on skills available on the international market, uh, managed to use technology and to shape it in a way that goes against our idea of technology as liberation technology, but very much an instrument in its ends uh, in order to support a very unique and very specific political plan. And uh, let me stop for a second, and uh, the bus from Cambridge has really taken it all. The case of Ethiopia is the one I will focus on, and the concept that I will try to use is the concept of technopolitics. This concept has been used in various fashions to explain why certain technologies took the shape they took. And it has been used to explain from uh, uh, the shape of uh, bridges to nuclear plants uh, and uh, to missile guidance systems to many other things. Surprisingly, apart from Bruno Latour, which, which has used uh, some of the concepts that sort of resonates with the idea of technopolitics, uh, it is used uh, it has been used very little in explaining information and communication technologies uh, and uh, why technology, new media and, uh, and even old media took the shape that they took. And the idea of technopolitics, uh, and I will try to provide a couple of, of examples in the literature, is not just that technology takes a particular shape because uh, um, it's um, 
because of the regime, the political regime is authoritarian, is democratic, but the politics itself, certain ways of doing politics can be injected into technical artifact. One of the most famous examples is this one. This is a seminal, you can't read it below, is the, the quote is from London Winner, an article published in the 1980s, uh, in 1980, um, and whose name is Do Artifacts Have Politics? What you see in front of you is obviously a bridge, and the interesting thing is uh, the overpass, as you can see, is particularly low. Is uh, lower than what we usually expect in a bridge. And uh, the analysis the winner provides, even if it's quite controversial, is that Robert Moses, uh, which is the man who, the builder who made New York what it is today in the, 19, in the 19, early 1990s, uh, um, uh, sort of wanted to prevent racial minorities, black and poor people, uh, to use uh, some of the areas of the city that he had created for the leisure of the middle classes. So rather than putting a, um, um, a kind of an alert or, or uh, preventing people through the law to access them, he said, well, why don't we have the overpasses so low so that uh, the buses that people usually have, poor people usually use uh, uh, to move around the city won't go through it. And another example that is a little bit more complicated, but uh, it's more connected to, to my case, and I find it personally fascinating, these are two nuclear reactors, and the study was done by Gabriel Hatch and, uh, in the late 1990s, but is on the nuclear policy of France in the 1950s and 1960s. Um, it's a long story, but to cut it short, um, since the political climate, international climate in the 1950s didn't allow France, France which lost the, the, the war obviously, um, to have uh, a military policy, a nuclear military policy, but France, as part of his idea of grandeur, of being again an important player on the international scene, wanted to have a bomb, they sort of they decided to uh, create uh, to shape technology, in this case nuclear technology, in a way that was not particularly efficient uh, from the side of producing energy, but as a byproduct that uh, could produce plutonium that could be used later on when the political scene changed uh, to build a bomb. And otherwise, it would have taken much longer if they didn't have the fuel available. So what Gabriel Hedge says in this quote is uh, using technology prevented uh, the, the political leaders uh, from having a clear and open military policy and uh, nuclear policy, but uh, at the same time uh, to create the premises uh, to do it later on when the international system, the, 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 the situation in the international system will change. So what I would like to do by moving to the case of Ethiopia is showing, this is a less dramatic case, but it's showing how also the case of the uses of digital technologies and new technologies, uh, Ethiopia sort of shaped uh, these artifacts in a way that was instrumental with its idea of building the nation. It was not a new idea, it was an idea that started in the 1990s when the government came to power for the first time, but uh, this was just the latest incarnation of a kind of a process of institutional reform that had been going on for a very long time. And uh, I will go more into the history of Ethiopia later on just to provide you the context of why uh, certain forms of politics were um, um, so important. And, uh, but here I would like just to show briefly what these two systems that would be my case studies are. What you see in the top um, photograph is um, 
um, it's a room obviously, LED, and uh, you have uh, uh, a plasma TV screen. And this is the front end of the system. It was called, uh, it is called Woreda. The Woreda are, uh, we can call it administrative districts, is the kind of a building block of the state. And uh, um, the WoredaNet, as, uh, as a system, was using the same protocol the internet is based on, the internet protocol, in order to connect the center of the state, the government, uh, with the 11 regional administration and the 550 Woredas uh, to do a number of things. The idea was to improve administrative efficiency, to improve communication between different uh, um, nodes of the state, uh, to make the presence of the state in a country as vast as is Ethiopia uh, more felt uh, by everybody in the country, from the rural population and the urban population. And what you see below is, again, the front end of the system that is extremely similar, but uh, sort of responds to a different, um, to a different uh, task. This is uh, called SchoolNet. It was set up to provide uh, <clears throat> education uh, to every secondary school student in the country. The idea is uh, for Ethiopia it's extremely important uh, that uh, the population is educated and everybody has access to the same kind of education. So this system was built in every secondary school of the country. And that meant that uh, in some cases, uh, in the most remote areas, the military had to be used to airlift uh, some of these uh, uh, plasma TV screens uh, in some of the areas. Uh, the commitment was, was massive. Uh, because um, also in areas not reached by electricity and petrol generators were provided so that people could see and could uh, uh, benefit from the system. So even in areas where electricity was not available, a plasma TV screen connected to a satellite uh, was the emanation of uh, modernity, of the modern Ethiopia, in the, in, also in the peripheries of the state. Obviously, this, this system cost an enormous amount of money, and the money were not coming, even if there was a period of negotiation from uh, donor uh, from, from donor agency. It was all money from, uh, from the government of Ethiopia. And uh, the cost, there is a little bit of uh, disagreement, uh, but it was beyond $300 million, uh, all coming from, from the central treasury. And those who built the system were Cisco system, Hughes Network, and uh, Vcon, and, uh, which, uh, as you will see, didn't have uh, many problems in sort of supporting an idea that was going against uh, what they advocated in international fora, such as the World Summit and Information Society, saying that technology is all about openness. And uh, the speed with whom these systems were developed was remarkable. It was, uh, uh, there have been a lot of talk about Redonet and Schoolnet in Ethiopia starting from 2000, but uh, the first request for proposal was issued in 2002. In 2004, uh, two years after, the system were up and running. Uh, there were a lot of problems uh, in the most remote areas. There were the system had promised, but they could switch it on. It could start working uh, in some of these places. Some people said, and I'm, I'm sorry that, uh, is that Abby? No. I'm sorry that Abby is not here because uh, it would have been Abby Declamari. It would have been an interesting. Uh, conversation on, uh, on the politics of Ethiopia and on the elections in Ethiopia, because in 2005, uh, Ethiopia, for the first time in history, had its open and contested election. And um, before it was, the election had just been staged uh, in order to, to provide a sort of uh, some form of legitimacy of, to a government that had been in power for, at the time, uh, 15 years. And, uh, and um, some people said, well, they wanted to have it ready because they wanted to have a competitive advantage uh, with um, um, 
vis-à-vis -vis their political opponents. So they could show that uh, openly in the media, in the television, in the, in the press, uh, there was debate, uh, but they had a system that was just their system in order to reach the peripheries. And I will read briefly what uh, the, the head of the World Bank, of, um, of the ICT section of the World Bank in Ethiopia said. He mentioned that before the election in 2005, it was key for them, the government of Ethiopia, to reach the population in the rural areas to speak with the peripheries, and they saw technology as an opportunity to do that, a great opportunity. And this strategy was the driving force behind their plans, even though they did not realize how expensive it was going to be. So there was a perception of why this technology was used and why it was political. And uh, so when I started studying this, when I started knowing that there was 2005, I was working in Ethiopia, and this system were taking shape, uh, I found it fascinating and I wanted to know why in a poor country like Ethiopia, a darling of the West, uh, and uh, technology was being shaped uh, in, uh, in this unique way. So my main research question was simply why this had happened, what was behind it, what was the politics uh, of uh, technology, how possible it was uh, in the lack of IT skills uh, to build something like that. And uh, the methodology, very briefly, was a quite of an interesting uh, going back and forth, a circular movement between interviews with the very same people who put the system together, from the very top, the Minister of Information, and those who envisioned and saw what uh, I the school as an opportunity for Ethiopia, and uh, to the poor technocrats who had to implement it on the ground, who had to be the one mediating between Cisco system on the one hand and the political council on the other. And uh, even if my background is not in engineering, and uh, it is in, in communication and media, so I had also to, to, to do a little bit of research to understand what the technical possibilities were, so why technology took uh, the shape. It took, and uh, um, what I will do in the the following, I guess, fifty minutes, twenty minutes in my present. I won't hit the hour, and uh, of my presentation is showing a couple of findings, some that I consider, some that emerged as the most important politics, political discourses, the shape or rather and school the way they did, and uh, illustrating later on how. These systems, uh, which, as I said before, and as I will continue to, to illustrate, which was extremely centralized, which used by the government, the central government, to reach the peripheries, to connect with them, uh, was not centralized at the beginning. The people really didn't, the, the, the government of Ethiopia didn't really understand clearly, not to, 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 on the whole spectrum, what they really wanted. Certain things became clear just when the technology started to be on the ground and the negotiation of what was possible, what wasn't possible, started taking place. And uh, right now, we focus just on a couple of these courses. What I said, I considered that emerged as the most important in shaping technology in, in, in the way they did. And uh, um, also providing a little bit of background of what uh, of the history of Ethiopia on the politics of Ethiopia. Ethnic federalism, can be said, is uh, the principle on which uh, the current elite, the Ethiopian people, Revolutionary Democratic Front, the party that controls the government and that controlled the government since 1991, on which it has built the new foundation of the state. Uh, the people who are now in power have been fighting a, <clears throat> a civil war for 20 years within the 1970s, at the beginning of the 1991, and uh, against the military dictatorship of the Derg uh, that controlled Ethiopia since uh, 1976. And uh, um, the movement uh, 
that finally defeated uh, the, the dictatorship of Mengizu and Mariam started uh, as a regional movement uh, to defend and protect uh, uh, the rights of an ethnic minority, the Tigrian ethnic minority in the north part of the country, which at the time, as well as now, represented 6% uh, of uh, the population. So when they took power in 1991, uh, there was a problem, and this problem was, uh, are we going to be perceived as the minority controlling the state? So the ideology that was created at the time, and even before, was uh, uh, sort of relocating uh, the uh, the foundation of the state, uh, not in a unitary idea of Ethiopia, but and every ethnic federation, every ethnic group, uh, is the right to be represented as uh, an ethnically diverse uh, group. So what uh, it, the Ethiopian leadership had to do in 1991 had to recreate the mythology of the state uh, and start doing it both through discourses uh, but also <clears throat> through institution. It had to create institution that represented ethnic federalists on the ground and explaining to the people. So they started creating regions that were sort of more or less um, coextensive to different uh, ethnic groups uh, and some and uh, a lot of uh, um, both scholars and political opponents accuse this government the government uh, that the EPA led by the EPRDF having used uh, the very same uh, um, strategies used by the colonialists in uh, um, in the past two centuries was creating group ethnicities from above rather than uh, than understanding them and the problem of this particular uh, this particular um, political ideology is capturing uh, in, uh, in the quote you can see below. Barzevde is one of the most famous Ethiopian historians. And what he said that I will read for you in this case is, uh, this is the paradox the current government created. It is a minority government and it needs to justify with an ideology <clears throat> like ethnic federalism is staying in power. They need to decentralize to support their ideology, but also to exert the central control to make sure that they can stay in power. And as I will try to show later on, looking at the, the, the nuts and bolts of the technology, Wuredanet and Skunet came to patch sometimes this paradox. It was not the thing that came at the end. It was just the, the latest example of a long series of institutional reform that tried to make this very complex project of national state building possible. And the second one is uh, revolutionary democracy. And again, also in this case, a concept that uh, was developed at the time of the guerrilla uh, struggle in the bush. And uh, a, a concept that often um, creates problems for the donors, for those who are uh, used to, um, uh, to um, uh, pay attention to buzzwords and uh, to what uh, the, the, the ideology of the government they're working with is. And uh, sometimes they think that, that Ethiopia is uh, committed to democracy, but the democracy they uh, uh, crafted for themselves is very different from the idea of liberal democracy. The revolution of democracy sort of uh, has its foundation in Marxist-Leninism uh, and is a populist version of democracy, sort of claiming that uh, the, ma the leaders at the center really know and can connect and communicate uh, with the masses. And this also goes back to, to the time of, um, of, uh, of the struggle in the bush, where differently from, uh, this is where I would mention Sudan, in the case of Southern Sudan, someone like uh, the SPLM and um, and um, 
and Garang, who was the leader of, uh, of, of the struggle in, in southern Sudan, uh, even if it was committed to the people, and uh, it was, the idea was uh, the best uh, is for those who fight. We are, we are risking our life, uh, and we have to get uh, the best out of it. In the case of the Ethiopian, and they were sort of praised, and look at so and suspect from other revolutionary groups in the 1970s, uh, they really slapped the people. They were really committed to sort of create a followers, a group of followers, uh, by showing to example. And so this, uh, even it was corrupted in, in 2010, they still like to, to claim that. It's obviously not the case anymore, but they still want to claim it's, it's still important uh, for the kind of a populist uh, understanding of democracy to say, well, we don't really have to reconcile with other elites. It's not the consensus with opponents, with intellectuals that we, we want and we need. Uh, we do this for the masses. We do this for the farmers. Uh, and uh, I will use again this other quote from Yemane Kidane. Yemane Kidane was, uh, was in Sudan, actually. He was the one who was telling me about uh, how committed uh, and about Garang and other things. But, uh, but uh, he had a falling out with the government in 2000, so he became kind of a critical voice. But during the struggle, he was the one in charge of uh, communication, external communication. What he said is still attached to the idea of revolutionary democracy you know, in a critical way. Is, uh, we always said that whatever policy we decide to develop, it will always be the farmers and the peasants to implement it. So the decision might be taken at the center, but the target for this decision are the farmers. So even now, through technology, the final targets are the farmers. It is the concept of mass mobilization. The whole idea of revolutionary democracy is to have a hegemony of ideas and views, to be the only one occupying the political space. So there is a trade-off there. The idea is, uh, well, we are really committed, we are truly committed, but uh, you have to trust us. We can be the only one providing uh, what uh, the people need. And uh, what I will do, this is, uh, this is my last slide, there is nothing uh, after that. What I will try to do in the next 10 minutes uh, is sort of showing in practice uh, um, how some of these ideas uh, were uh, shaping and helped shaping uh, uh, the system, where I don't have school as a system, and then enlarge a little bit to, to the larger uh, picture of uh, media and communication in Ethiopia. It's not just where uh, I don't school net that were incarnation of uh, some of the ideas of ethnic federalism and revolutionary democracy, but uh, overall uh, certain decisions that were taken were inspired by this principle. And what I will try to do is also showing, as I said before, how a system, and in theory, was uh, was uh, planned as very redundant, uh, was possibly open, was progressively closed, uh, and uh, so also the level of technology itself, the clash uh, mm, of discourses between uh, uh, what the international community see as the benefit of the internet, the opening up, connecting countries that are poor to the rest of the world, giving opportunities. Uh, was clashing with the local idea of uh, centralization. We don't need the internet. We don't need that our citizens are more connected to the outside world. We actually want uh, that our citizens hear from us, meaning uh, the government of Ethiopia, the central leadership, uh, uh, what the nation is, what they should be doing, how they can build uh, a stronger Ethiopia, an Ethiopia that uh, can compete internationally, but uh, is uh, very united uh, around certain ideas. And so I will start. If something is not clear, please let me know because this, you know, there's a lot of acronyms and numbers. They're not important. I won't go through all the acronyms and numbers, but, uh, but uh, I will just explain the most the, the key part of it. So I will start from the left, uh, from all these kind of clouds that you see. 
And uh, this is the heart of Boredanet. Uh, these are all the servers and all the systems and all the protocols uh, that were used uh, to uh, uh, have the system functioning. And quite interestingly, all the servers were in the office of the Prime Minister. And they say the office of the Prime Minister were not in his office, were in, in his compound, in his building. But uh, that to show how important uh, the system was uh, and how critical it was, uh, uh, this, uh, I think, was a an important bit of information. What you see on the left uh, doesn't matter too much. These are just the teleports, these huge uh, um, uh, satellite dishes providing internet to Ethiopia. Ethiopia is not yet connected to the internet uh, through the cable, even if they keep saying that it would be soon. On, on the top is obviously a satellite. In order to have the system working, they uh, uh, rented a transponder from uh, which is the system that allows the ex data exchange uh, and data transmission of the satellite uh, from new networks uh, and it was capable of 60 megabytes per second. And uh, I will show you how this was a very short bandwidth, and this created a lot of problems. Then the fact that they had just uh, these available, but it was extremely expensive. And then uh, on on the transponder, the transponder was divided uh, and uh, in let's say different segments. These 60 megabytes. Uh, um, Per second, 15 were allocated for SchoolNet, and we have to forget it for for a minute. And the others were allocated to provide different services. When I say services, you can see an explanation of the services on the top left, where you see Falcon IP and the others. These are the different services that were offered. Falcon IP stands for the video conferencing system. This is just a, a little camera that it is not visible. So one of the things that was possible was IP-based video conferencing. The two other images on the left are two phones, two IP-based phones, so uh, like Skype, you know, so it could, the voice over IP could be done to telephone. The idea was uh, since uh, telephones at the time, that was 2004, couldn't reach uh, certain parts of Ethiopia, they could use this technology in order to connect uh, in theory every node to each other, like it was using Skype. Uh, I could decide I'm living in Woreda in the northwest, I want to be in touch with another in the southeast, uh, and I can do that, and that was uh, was possible. And then on the right-hand side, of course, is a computer when I was visiting some of the Woreda sites, I, I visited a few of them, usually there were six or seven computers, and the idea was to provide the internet and allowing the different administrators or different uh, even political cars to serve, serve the internet and do different things. So the system was built potentially as something quite open and uh, and people could do different things but the, the problem started and of course as, as as i said before as i would keep saying uh, there is quite a bit of politics in how this was shaped but uh, when a certain kind of politics started producing problems it was quite clear and it was quite easy to explain is uh, um, there was a lot of friction between the donors and the Ethiopian government saying, well, this, is, this system has never taken shape, we've never seen anything like that, uh, why don't you pilot it first? Why don't you pilot it into, into the urban centers? The skills are there, the people are there, it's much easier. But the idea, as I showed before, is not uh, to reach uh, the, the elites and the rich, it's to reach the farmers. So the idea is, uh, no, we don't want to pilot it, we have to go full scale immediately, also because uh, the idea of 
building institution and showing commitment. Uh, if you uh, pilot it uh, into a region in particular, what about the other region? And uh, so they wanted to go full scale in every region so that nobody could uh, feel, well, we are left behind. We are second category ethnic group. Uh, we are marginalized as an ethnic group. And this was not just what I did. It was the, the, the principle uh, inspiring many other reforms. So for example, there were the idea of building universities. Uh, Universities. If one university is built in Addis Ababa, this is one quote from the CEO of the Ethiopian Telecommunication Corporation, another university has to be built in a regional town. And, uh, but building with 60 megabytes, with 45 megabytes available, building uh, 600 sites was creating a lot of problems. You do the calculation, you will have uh, uh, each computer, if they're all working at the same time, something like seven kilobytes per second, and there were six computers that to, sh to share seven kilobytes per second. So what, when these problems started arising as problems, because again, Cisco system thought that the internet was uh, an important thing to do, we were in 2002, 2004, for, you know, what you need uh, to improve the efficiency of the state is better access to the internet. Uh, certain decisions started to, made, to be made. And uh, what was cut off in terms of services uh, were the internet and voice over IP. And in order to save bandwidth uh, for video conferencing, which was the most important thing and the very reason why Internet was, uh, was put together. So the idea is you have potentially a system which is open, we can allow people, especially in a system of a decentralization plan, to sort of find their own solution to their own problems. We are close to the ground, uh, we really know we can use the internet, we can uh, read things, uh, and this is cut off in order to liberate space uh, for the prime minister to be in communication with uh, the peripheries of the states and tell them, even if there is commitment, what they should be doing and how. And uh, another indication and, uh, of how uh, little interest there was in the internet, uh, it was the route uh, that packages, uh, this is a little bit technical, but I will try to explain it, it's not clear, please stop me, is the route that packages, F, internet packages, had to follow up and down satellites uh, in order to uh, to uh, to reach a computer. Let's start from the left hand side. For example, you see the, the compact, the computer. I make a request to access whichever page, republica.it or the BBC or... So the pack, the request is to go through, well, the VUSAT there, the satellite, the Voredonet satellite, uh, then the teleport at Suluta, the one on the left, uh, then up to another to another satellite, uh, and then down, and then reaching the source, the server, where the data are. And then, again, in order to the package to come back to me, he has to do what they call two loops. So two loops up and down satellites in order to, to reach my computer. In theory, there was, if internet had been the thing that they wanted, it was possible to uh, make available on the satellites, on the Voredonet satellites, or in other satellites that could be reached uh, by the VSAT, uh, the ability of uh, accessing the internet through that one. So just going to one single loop and on two loops. These uh, technical uh, uh, solution was never implemented. And also the, the thing is, because for video conferencing, the loop had to be just one, because the loop originates in, uh, on the left where the National Data Center is. It just goes to the teleport route, one only one uh, satellite, and then down uh, to the node. So these technical solutions were more complicated, required more, more money, the one for the internet, was never implemented because the thing that was really needed was video conferencing. And um, 
I will continue with a couple of other examples, and I will stop looking at all these uh, all these all these things I put together. Also, when you go to the video conferencing, the particular type of video conference that was supported that was also indicative of uh, the desire to centralize the system rather than uh, decentralize it. Uh, if um, uh, again, there was a lot of redundancy in uh, uh, in in the system as it was built, probably because of lack of communication and understanding between Cisco, which had never done something like that, and the Ethiopian government. And uh, it was possible to use different kind of video conferencing, broadcasting. You'll know what broadcasting is. You just send a message to a lot of receivers, and uh, multicasting and uh, a multipoint. And again, uh, to make it to make it to cut it short, is uh, multicast is the most decentralized way to do it. So in theory, if I'm a node in a in a local uh, in a local Boreda, uh, um, I could uh, uh, start a video conferencing session with another Boreda. If you use multipoint, only the service at the center can authenticate the other nodes. So again, I have the control of the video conferencing system. I decide which uh, nodes can be on it. And in most cases, uh, the communication is the one between the center of the state and the periphery of the state. When I was interviewing people on the ground, without probing them, without asking them, so tell me, is it Meles that uses the system? Is it the prime minister? He was saying in a very candid way, well, now the prime minister can communicate with us, can tell us how we should do things, and uh, in which way, also not really seeing how problematic this concept was. And uh, again, this is a, a kind of uh, um, technical explanation. What I'm trying to do is then to, to, to show that there were many different possibilities to, to develop the system, and politics really did matter in a way that uh, resonated with the, the larger uh, uh, debates and discourses uh, uh, animating the, the, the building of the Ethiopian state since the 1990s. And uh, we have to remind that when all the systems were seen the light, where were being implemented, spending millions of dollars and reaching the, the peripheries of the state, State. In uh, that was the case in 2008, and from what I know, it hasn't changed very much. In the urban centers, in cities that have 500,000 people, and uh, most uh, uh, the most people still access those who can access the internet through dial-up. And uh, if you have to use a broadband, not an enormous broadband, it's like uh, two megabytes per second. The cost of activation is, and these data are coming from the Ethiopian Telecommunication Corporation, is $2,500 start and $500 per month. When you consider that the average income per year in Ethiopia is $140, well, there are not many people that can afford that. So again, to show how not just in the how different the bits and pieces are put it together, but the larger political strategy was really, you know, uh, marginalizing the elites, uh, sort of not allowing them to make use of the possibilities of technology, and uh, and but making sure at the same time that uh, the, the peripheries and the rural uh, and the farmers could be reached. So a huge commitment, and if and the same commitment, and, and this is the last example that I will provide, and then I will wrap up, and I hope there are questions. And uh, uh, was shown in SchoolNet, the other system, simpler than this one. It's just broadcasting. It's just one way. It's no video conference. It's no. It's no. Um, not a lot of protocols, uh, um, packets going up and down. And uh, but again, the idea was uh, 
for the first time, and Ethiopia has been uh, probably the unique country that did that in a very problematic way, that people, even in the most in secondary school students, even in the most remote areas, could have access to the same quality of education of the people residing in the capital or in the urban centers. So there was a lot of commitment on the side of the government saying, we stand for equity. We wanted people have the same <coughs> opportunities to use technology. At the same time, it was problematic from a political point of view because uh, the way school that works, a class works, uh, the teacher walks into the, cl into, the, into the classroom, it turns on the TV, if it's on, uh, if it's on, uh, keep quiet, uh, it says, well, today we are going to talk about this. Uh, the program starts, uh, it keeps quiet again for half an hour, and then it's given, uh, at the beginning was given five minutes at the end, uh, uh, they, prom they, they sort of, uh, um, and the protest of the government, they were given 10 minutes uh, at the end. So these are just, uh, uh, it's not a proof in the didactic technology, but if you look at the importance of uh, teachers as mediators, not just of ideas, but also political ideas, and the role of teachers as middle classes uh, in, uh, in political change, uh, well, they played quite an important role, even in Ethiopia, as well as in other countries, as those uh, who represent uh, the nodes of alternative ideas. This was also a way to marginalize teachers. And some of the, some of the, um, the classes were in uh, mathematics, and physics, and biology, but the, one of the classes was in civic and ethical education. And I had the opportunity to sit, that all the classes are in English, to sit and, and, and uh, watch one of them, and as well as to read the curriculum. And uh, they were not propaganda, but at the same time, uh, it was, they were saying very clearly that the, the principle, the founding principle of the state, ethnic federalism, we are all ethnically diverse, uh, and this resonates, as I said before, with the particular idea of the nation, which contrasts with uh, the ideas that, uh, that came before. And uh, so on the one end, you have commitment, you have technology reaching out to the peripheries, but at the same time, this is closely connected to technology, to, 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 to the kind of politics that want to be supported. And, uh, and an interesting thing is, is you look, if, you, if you look at the diversity of Schoolnet and, and, and Warednet, uh, and uh, this, I didn't get it the, uh, at first, but then asking more questions, and, uh, and uh, if the Warednet is video conference, is live content, you have to go up and down. It's Schoolnet is static concept, or the contents, contest, con content. content, sorry. Yes, yeah, it's too late. It's time, it's time to wrap up for you. And uh, it's static content. So in theory, and uh, you don't need a satellite. You just need uh, uh, a big server and a lot of hard disk in order to have these, uh, these, um, these working. And I will use the words of a consultant that I interviewed. Uh, and he said, the first time that I saw Schoolnet, we were shocked. They rented a satellite to broadcast pre-recorded content. Whoever designed it, it was crazy. The content is static. It would have been so much cheaper to buy hard drives and install the lessons on them. A big video server would have been so much cheaper. This is a, uh, a consultant that has flown into the country, and knows little about the concept, these are crazy. The answer is, uh, it's true that it was used for that, but it was also used for something different. It was used, again, by the prime minister to turn schools uh, into centers for the training 
of teachers uh, of other important group of the society. So on a regular basis, usually during the summer break, uh, this system we used to turn schools in sort of uh, political learning centers uh, for uh, those at the center. It was not always the prime minister, he's a busy man, but he also has people helping him, uh, sort of reaching out to the very periphery of the state and using the system. And this wouldn't have worked with, uh, with static radio service. So, I will stop here, and you know we can go deeper into some uh, some of the aspects of this technology. But what I wanted to show, and uh, is is not that. Uh the, the authoritarianism as a system and as an explanation doesn't matter because only in an authoritarian country this could be possible. Only in a situation where government uh, was not challenged, challenged by uh, its political opponents into the realization of a system like this one, this could take shape. But also the importance of uh, looking uh, at uh, the local politics, of the local discourses, uh, that uh, the technopolitics uh, that animates a particular country. And I think it is important was important and interesting for me because I find fascinating this approach to technology as a kind of a archaeological artifact. So reading in technology, the the the, the, the how, how hierarchy works in the state, how politics work, what is important and what is not important, and uh, and I think looking at technopolitics, at uh, how a concept like revolutionary democracy is uh, embodied into into a particular project, uh, how a concept like ethnic federalism can be helpful for international organizations. I say again, Ethiopia is the largest recipient of development aid in Africa. And to really negotiate with the greater knowledge, with the greater understanding of what democracy really means, their project. Some donors have started using Morelanet, for example, to do training themselves, because they find it a good way to reach to the very periphery of the state. Is this intentional? Could, have, could they have jumped on board before and made the system a little bit more open? So also the internet could be available in a certain way of, uh, of empowering the, 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 those into the number of ethical questions that uh, I don't have an answer for, but I think it's more important to, to have all the instruments uh, to, to know uh, why a project is, uh, is doing what it's doing. And finally, also the, coming back to the beginning, looking at the tactics uh, and strategies. Uh, um, in both design, let's, in this case I put myself into the shoes of an activist, uh, and uh, knowing where is the red line, which are the principle of the state, what is used and is not negotiable, could help uh, sort of working in space in order to enlarge them, or sort of attacking frontally and using certain kind of technologies uh, in a particular way. And um, so the, the, the final, the very final word is, uh, it's really trying, attempting to go beyond and not having enough of uh, authoritarian countries tend to use technology in, uh, in predefined ways. Uh, there is more to that uh, and there are also instruments to understanding how this works. Uh, and uh, I try to show one case, uh, but uh, I guess there are many others. So. Thank you. Thank you.